When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 588. Going to recap the week in Fab, week six, that is in Fab. Talk about a few player breakdowns and much, much more. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick. And to help me do it once again on a weekly basis for the most part this year, find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Mike Curlin, how you doing, my friend? Hello, Mr. BDNTrick. <laughs> I always mess up your last name. I, I since even from the back in the day when we uh I used to have you on my podcast, I screwed it up and pronouncing it then. I'm not gonna start pronouncing it right now. But uh otherwise it's screwed up my whole life, don't you worry. Well, so so are so are you, so it kind of it fits. It makes yeah. sense. That's why we're that's but, uh, hanging out together. Yeah, it takes one to know one. I get it. I uh, appreciate you having me on as always, buddy. This is always a fun fun to get on here, talk beforehand, and once we press record, we just kind of keep it going. So uh yep. as always, thanks, man. Yep, always good. Um, people can find all of Mike's work at Gaining the Edge Fantasy on Patreon, a little bit of The Athletic. Check out his YouTube channel, Gaining the Edge Fantasy on YouTube. Um, GT Fantasy, sorry. I don't know what – he got it all. He's got it all. It's, He's busy. Just follow him on Twitter. He's got it all there. Yeah, and Mike underscore Curlin, that's where you'll find – I post everything there. Yeah. yeah, all his player breakdowns and more. It's good stuff. Good stuff. He's growing the YouTube in a big, big way. So he's he's got a face for radio, but he's found a way to put it to YouTube. So we'll see how this one works well, out. Have you seen the fantasy baseball landscape? There's not exactly a high bar to clear true. when it comes when it true. comes to these these mugs that we call faces. You know, that's true. Yeah, I got we got a little bit of a benefit on that one. Um, some news dropped on Tuesday morning. We're recording on Tuesday afternoon, and it was kind of sketchy over the weekend, Sunday and Monday, about Max Fried's potential situation of making a start this week, and that's clearly not going to happen now. As he is on the IL with a flexor issue, they're hoping it's just a minor thing. They're saying the MRI does not resemble the need for Tommy John surgery, but he's basically got to get shut down so it can completely like the inflammation can go away, do more like interesting like looks at it, I guess, MR imaging and whatnot. It sounds to me it's like we're like on a four to six week, maybe six to eight week scenario right about now. I guess it seems like an all star break thing for me. But what's your thoughts on this Max Freed situation? And when it's funny, when I went to Roster Resource, looked at the Braves rotation, it's really Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and Charlie Morton. That's the only three guys they have in the rotation on Roster Resource right now. That's how much of a mess it is. Well, at least you know Soroka should be nearing return. That's good. Um, Dodd in AAA hasn't really done all that much, been walking a ton. I don't know how Schuster – let's look up – I'm looking up Schuster right now. You know, I'm, I'm always late to the party here with this stuff. But uh, I can't find him. Apparently I can't spell his last name. Shocker, I couldn't say yours either. But yeah, it's one of those things where 
we're getting back to those those guys from the beginning of the year. So whichever one's kind of hanging out is the one you should definitely be getting. But of course, you should be looking at uh, Soroka if he's available. He's not really available in deeper formats. But Freed, you knew it was kind of ominous when the manager's like, yeah, um, I, he's just missing a start. And then when somebody tried to ask him and press him, he kind of avoided it. That kind of tells me all I need to know. And Schuster kind of have the same thing, but I finally got it. He's He has better ERA, but if you look at the FIP and XFIP, it's all like three hit runs higher for Schuster. Not really striking out as many players as you'd hope, but the walks are out of control. Six walks per nine right now in the minors. So neither. So it's one of those things where we saw the issues creep up you know, early in the year and it kind of carried back over to the minors. So, yeah, right now it's uh, Soroka, and um, that's about it. Like who they actually called somebody. I forgot who they called up, actually, but I don't think it really matters in terms of relevance. It wasn't right relevant. It wasn't relevant at all who they called up. I'm pretty sure it's just a bullpen arm for now, or it's, a, it's like an opener-type situation because – it's not looking promising for. I, I think they need to make an actual like trade, go sign a guy, because um, even Soroka, like the, uh, from our our Discord on Game of the Edge Fantasy, uh, I think it's Psyops has been talking about. He's a big Braves fan. He um he mentioned Soroka still has a little ways to go. He's not quite there just yet. So this is obviously less than ideal. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a little while. They called up uh, Danny Young, Danny Young, lefty Danny Young. So, they do have a name I'm trying to think of. Oh, I hate how Ross Resource changed their uh Well, Ian Anderson's hurt. Thing. He'd be another uh, one. Oh, Vines was the name I was thinking of. I didn't realize he was injured. Because <laughs> Darius yeah. Vines was a guy that I remember looking at because he was on the 40-man beginning the year. And when I did my 40-man prep stuff, his name popped up as just like a guy like, okay, they kept him you know, to avoid the whole Rule 5. And he's injured right now. And I don't even know why. So there goes that name where I was thinking like maybe there, but uh they just can't keep their pitching staff healthy right now. Any pitchers, no matter what level they're at. It's pretty wild. Yeah, so right now, yeah, right. Like a trade seems potentially likely. I mean, this is a team obviously with aiming to compete. No reason why. I mean, they're gonna obviously take their time with Freed. Call Wright's not coming back probably anytime soon with the shoulder. Um, yeah, this is a mess. Like, like, this is an absolute mess right now. Wow. Yeah, this well, is not it, good. Like I laughed. Yeah, yeah, when I opened up that that roster resource page, I was like, oh, it's worse than I thought. This is not yeah. good. Um, I mean, because even uh, Dog got recalled when Wright went down, and Dog got lit up again. It's like Dog and Schuster had great springs. They're struggling in the minors. Bigs might not be the answer for them. It, it's literally like let's uh, call the Giants up or call the A's up or call some crappy team and see what you can try to get out of them. Uh, I, you know, call call the Rockies and go get Kyle Freeland. He's probably not that bad outside of Coors Field. Just gonna throw it out there. <laughs> He's actually been good in Coors Field, but um, yeah. They, if they I had to guess, quick. though, if I had to guess, they're obviously just gonna utilize Dodd or Schuster and, and Schuster. hope and, and hope for the best. Like those two guys are gonna come right back up, like dig at the beginning of the year and get them by. And even if it's three, four innings, you know, maybe once, twice through the if they, if they can get twice through the order through in like four innings, maybe they'll pull them and try to depend on that bullpen a little bit just to get them through till Soroka returns and maybe make a move from there. Or maybe one of them stands out. You know, you know how that works. Well, they come back up after a rough go and they are, you know, things click sometimes for a player randomly because a lot of stuff happens. And like, for instance, you're seeing Taj Bradley go down to the minors and first two starts back gets rocked is it because he's working on something is his is his confidence shot does he feel like is like is there is there a mental thing that we don't really see because you know he made it to the highest level succeeded went back down and now it's like maybe he doesn't want to be you just don't know there's so many things that could potentially be going on but same thing could be happening for the Braves guys they you know they, they started up with the year they got their they got their hopes up a little bit they went back down now they're struggling they're struggling to figure out and regain pat previous form 
I, I don't see, I don't see, obviously they're gonna have to turn to them anyway. So maybe one can come back up and maybe things will just click. It's, it doesn't seem likely, but you just never know. Players figure things out on the fly. I mean, wasn't Bryce Miller also struggling in double A came up and has had two stellar outings out of nowhere. It's just, it's the thing like just trust the talent eventually. Just let the talent see what it can do. And that's but. why I'm trying to be optimistic here. Obviously I'm a Braves fan. So I mean, them struggling, the Marlins aren't exactly, I mean, they're over, the Marlins are, aren't going to compete, but they're overperforming right now. However, it's one of those things where I'm looking at this division and the Braves have such a wide, a wide lead at the moment, especially with the Mets, you know, Scherzer's issue, uh, injured, which we could probably talk about that in a moment. Um, we you have the Phillies kind of rebounding, but still trying to figure out their whole situation down there. And then obviously the Nationals and Marlins are just trash. It's one of those things where the Braves don't necessarily need those pitchers to be anything special for the time being until they get healthy, until they make a trade. So it's, I think the Braves can lean on those young guys, see what they have there, maybe give them some run, see if they can figure it out at the big league level versus working at things at the minor. I mean, they're, again, they're going to have to. I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. I know way off, way off topic, way off tangent, but it's one of those things where trying to find the fantasy value. I, I, if I had to guess, I would say Dodd probably gets the first nod. Yep. Sorry. Like I had to. <laughs> it's well done. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, it just rhymed. I'm like, oh, it just sounds good. But yeah, Dodd does probably get the first look, but all things considered, I'm not really excited for either. None of them are, neither one of them are like must starts. And maybe the biggest takeaway is Bryce Elder keeps getting safer and safer in terms of having a rotation spot. Not that he was ever on the outside looking in, but it was getting close to like, and I'm sure like, heck he was dropped in my main because I think people were like, well, Soroka's due back in a start or two or a rotation or two. And next thing you know, Elder is not only still performing, but now it's more than secure for the foreseeable future in terms of his his roster spot, rotation spot. So I, Elder, I think that's I think that's the biggest takeaway is Elder. Elder, yeah, Elder's like uh, definitely he's locked in now, and we've seen him be serviceable for five to six innings regularly. Like he might not yeah. dominate, but he gets you through it. Where Dodd and Schuster, we haven't even seen that yet consistently. Um, I, I agree. Dodd should get the first shot. I just sit and watch. I wouldn't be running to uh, at him anytime soon. Let's put it that way. But uh, Elder would be the dude for me. Uh, you mentioned the Scherzer situation. He mentioned it on, I believe, uh, Monday that he was battling or he's playing through his scapula injury still. It's the guy that's missed so much time between injuries and suspensions this year. It's ridiculous. And then uh, he's supposed to start on Tuesday. And right now it looks like he's not going to start. David Peterson got called up. It's not official yet, but it's like every tea leaf is pointing that direction. So David Peterson is in Cincinnati right now. There's a chance Scherzer misses his start, goes to the IL. Who knows what's going on? But he's been a mess. The actual Verlander's return was okay. Senga's been disgusting lately. Uh, Lucasia McGill have been blah. It's uh, the Mets rotation is not great, not great at all. So, what do you think about this Scherzer deal? Because Peterson will get another shot here. We've seen Joey Budo have have a few rounds in here. Nothing's great though. I think Peterson becomes the clear like who's next up slash who you can you know stream for as needed. We know Peterson's upside. We also have seen the floor. The thing about uh, the situation though as a whole is when you think scapula. Now I'm thinking Brandon Woodruff. You know that's what we just dealt with and Woodruff. Obviously, it was it seemed like it was random out of nowhere. Next thing you know, he's out what six to eight weeks minimum. I think he's I think best case scenario is end of June, from what I've heard on other podcasts. So I, I haven't really seen or heard anything otherwise. I looked into it and the quotes are like positive, but still like, hey, I'm we're sure it's like it looks better than expected. But what is better than expected means and, and how long does that actually translate to is to be determined. So if it's a similar injury, which again, scapula injuries, I feel like are always longer term injuries. I've never heard of one not be a longer term injury, especially and he's pushing trying to pitch through it. And my thing was somebody actually asked me on Twitter what they should do. I'm like, honestly, if you're this would be a week to sit. This was before this and now definitely a week to sit Scherzer, because when a pitcher th- is throwing through injury, what happens? They usually either a diminished velocity. 
I would say they overthrow. So it's either diminished velocity, diminished control, a combination of the two, or they actually get full on injured and leave mid start anyway. It's usually one of those outcomes or a combination of said outcomes. So Scherzer's a guy that you shouldn't have been starting this week anyway, to be honest, or try to make plans around, especially if you could have. Have you heard? Was the news? You said the news was like late last week, right? It was. Uh, about him battling through an injury i read it on monday for my first mm, pitch podcast. that's that's the problem so people might not have prepped for that in fab however maybe if you have and say you can still set your lineups for sure so by the time you're listening to this you probably already had to set them it's one of those things where you should have probably like oh well i guess this i mean i'm facing a throw a, a blow up here but i'm gonna do it like if you had logan allen on your bench if you were lucky enough to have that type of situation because logan allen's facing the angels not the best matchup but maybe you went you said screw it and threw him in there because you'd rather get something versus a zero you know what i mean yep. that's the type of decision like where if you have a rough a rough matchup you might just have to make you might have had to make that decision and just just i mean it is what it is <laughs> you can't really do anything about it but assures her man it's it's unfortunate but yeah david peterson becomes that next guy at least in my opinion i mean they, they already have him traveling to make the emergency start aka he's starting tonight is how i read that you yeah know? that's the way i look at it. like he's in town he's somehow in cincinnati all of a sudden they flew yeah, him out he's, hmm. yeah they didn't fly him out from triple a to come to cincinnati uh, just to hang out that wasn't happening so in case they needed a starter that yeah, was like i think yeah he's starting so be prepared for that one folks keep an eye on the scherzer situation um a couple of players we want to talk about before we get into the uh add and drops of the weekend there's a lot of really good ones we're gonna try to focus on that for a bit but we'll start with Emmanuel Valdez of the Boston Red Sox. He was picked up in 41 OC League, so he probably wouldn't get to it on the uh, fab part. So we'll talk about him here. And it's a guy that I've had circled in deeper formats. In 12s, I get not like running to, to grab him. But with Christian Arroyo going to the IL, it opens up more time for Valdez, who has a homer and three steals on the season, hitting 324, the sub-20% K rate, which stands out to me in, in a very nice way. Uh, what are you seeing when you look at Emmanuel Valdez, who's kind of been a, you know, Last year, in in between Double um, A AA and Triple A for the the Astros, he hit twenty one home runs and stole five bags. So, what's your thoughts on him? Um, I completely lost you on that. One. I was too busy reading something. Who am I talking about? Emmanuel Valdez. <laughs> That's what I thought. First, I know. Well, I got see my ADHD kicked in. I apologize. So, Emmanuel Valdez. Uh, I think it's very interesting with him. I just love that I've made that error. You know, I did that the first time ever. We'll talk about that in a second. The first time ever on your show, I was actually like, I got stuck multitasking and went off on a tangent. And you asked me something. I was like, can you repeat the question? Anyway, uh, so we're just, you know, repeating history here. Emmanuel Valdez, though. Uh, what's there not to like right now? The way he's playing every day against righties, at least. I did think there's going to be a path to better playing time with the injuries to the infield, but they called up Dahlbeck and Dahlbeck did pinch hit for him in the game which I was reminded of because I had I missed that. Sunday was a very busy day for me, and I didn't get a chance to my, my my rounds in terms of recaps. But if that's the case, if Dahlbeck is going to play second base, and uh, which we saw him play middle until it was ugly, but if he's going to play second base on the weak side of a platoon, so that's still, that still limits Valdez's upside, but he's not much of a stolen base guy. However, he is three for three on the year, so obviously Boston's letting him run even though the speed isn't really there. But speed doesn't necessarily dictate a player's skill in terms of being able to steal bases, so... I, I, there's some speed there. The power hasn't shown up yet, but we know it's there after he put up the, you know, nearly 30 in 2022 between those, you know, three stops. I really like Valdez. I, I like the strong plate discipline. I hate all the ground balls he's hitting right now, but that's something that's never really been his in his game, especially since what 2019, 2018, or 2019 was the last time he spiked anything over even a 40% ground ball rate. So Valdez is a guy that I expect him, as long as he's in the lineup, he should be playing every day, at least against righties. And I think there's some power yet to 
be tapped into there that we should see come out. And I think overall, he's going to be a solid, deeper league middle infield option. You just have to understand the schedule when it comes to Valdez. All right. No, I like uh, – he intrigues me. Like I said, I wrote him up recently for like deeper, deeper targets. Um, I think he's definitely one of monitor. Then the Christian Arroyo news made it even better. The Bobby Dahlbeck thing is annoying uh, to this day. But uh, I think there is something there with Valdez. I want to kind of see what the Red Sox decide to do with it. Uh, let's talk John Gray, who in his first six starts of the season was struggle busting. He had four straight starts of two Ks before last uh, Monday night's outing. He's given up, you know, three, four runs regularly. Walks have been kind of an issue for him. But he, he comes out on Monday night in Seattle, seven innings, four hits, one run on solo shot to Ty France, zero walks, and eight strikeouts, a season high, eight strikeouts. And you tweeted about it. I know some other guys did too. The uh, increased like slider velocity, which is very, very interesting to see. Obviously, was this a one-time thing? Is it sustainable? We don't know. But it was a transition he's made. And so what are you seeing with John Gray that, uh, you know, some people are losing hope in John Gray. If this is the John Gray we get going forward, that's obviously pretty amazing. Well, this reminded me of what we saw with with Oviedo earlier this year with like the slider was being thrown harder. It had a different shape to it, like where it had less movement and it was like more cutter-esque because it's still a slider, but it's just when it had that less sweeping movement to it, I was like, huh. And then this reminded me of that because not that I actually would have to go look at how they profile in terms of like similar movements and all that good stuff, but that's just the it reminded me of that because we saw the added velo and we saw the different shape in the slider. And I went back and watched the start and I saw some sliders have more still have more cut to him and more depth so i think it's maybe a fact that maybe there's two sliders there maybe he's because you know there's a couple guys like what Reynaldo lopez for instance that have two sliders i'm not that type of pitching guru i'm trying to get to that point where i really can go back and watch the start and understand this but i was trying to watch it and i know at least maybe just from the looks of things i've noticed some sliders were tighter and some still had that more movement to him it could have just been an angle thing i don't know but uh that's what i was looking at for, at least with the eye test all things considered though Season high slider usage, including that three mile per hour uh, increase in increase in uh, velo, less movement as I mentioned, more of a tighter movement on it, had a sixty seven percent whiff rate compared to an overall thirty two percent thirty eight point two percent whiff rate on the year. So it had less movement and it induced more whiffs. So obviously it was effective. Uh, maybe it's because teams haven't had a chance to adapt to it yet. So there's always that, which again we saw with Oviedo. Finally, teams adapted and he's been getting hit a little harder. But all things considered it's a tangible change here to at least help you somewhat believe in what we're seeing. Not to mention it came with a season low four seam usage. So it wasn't just the slider change or the slider reshape, reshaped slider, a, a change in the whole slider as a whole, not to mention a change in the pitch mix with that fastball uh, four seamer going down. So you saw production follow a legitimate change in attack. I always buy into that more, but it's one of those things where, there might be a two to three start window for John Gray to really be like above average and above expectations. And then there's a chance where teams adapt and maybe he's less effective, but that's, we, that's speculation. You can't assume that you, you can't assume that this can't be like that point where like last year, Justin Steele made that abrupt change to his arsenal and there was a huge spike and everything. And now it's sustained into, a, into like what first month and a half into this season too. So it's one of those things where, there's reasons for optimism and that's all you can ask for right now. And yeah. a lot of reasons why John Gray could be like, this could be the beginning of a, a strong run or it could be a blip on the radar. However you want to look at it. It's still a promising sign. Nevertheless. Yeah. And he's healthy right now, right? I say right now, because we say that every other start with certain players. So he's healthy. We know the ceiling that he can bring to it. So if this is a, a fundamental change he's making, that is good. That is good to see. 
We'll see how that pans out. You mentioned Justin Steele. I always get happy when Justin Steele's discussed because so many people think, oh, how does he do it with two pitches? Well, he does, folks. Just leave him alone. Um, next up on the list here is Nick Lodolo, and this one is frustrating. First two starts was out was good. It was what you wanted from Nick Lodolo. Since then, his last four starts, since April 18th, he's allowed um, 20 earned runs in 17 and a third innings. He's allowed nine home runs, 20 Ks over that stretch. Um 10-3-8 ERA, 5-2-3 XFIP. Uh, either way, you look at it, not great. 17.6% K to walk. You'd expect a lot more from him. 11% swinging strike rate. It's been ugly for Lodolo. He's only gotten through five innings once in those last four starts. He's like almost hard to even start weekly right now. People might say, oh, Great American Small Park. Well, three of those four starts were in Great American Small Park. So if you want to go there, sure. But the other one was at Oakland. So I don't know how you want to clarify that one for everybody. But uh, what's your thoughts on Nick Lodolo? Because it is not pretty right now. So you mentioned it, though. The home and the home road splits are very notable. Eight of those 10 home runs have been and granted 22 of his 22 innings on the, at home, 12 on the road. So there is that disparity. But we're talking eight of the 10 home runs are at home. The ERA is six runs higher at home. 8.46 to 2.25 on the road. So there are legitimate huge huge splits home and road you mentioned obviously the a's outing but that's even with that outing his road splits are still a lot better but we're talking such a small sample it's hard to say it's just a home road thing and he's allowing more fly balls on the road too so it's like he's he's actually inducing more ground balls at home but it doesn't seem to matter because those fly balls at home go a long way when you look at it beyond just the home road splits but again there are obvious splits there he's walking less batters than before he's still stranding as many as last year so there's no real issues there. The bad bit is pretty inflated right now, but the home run to fly ball rate. The issue is, is he was a kind of a home run guy last year. 15.1% isn't low. And that was what it was last year for Lodolo. 27% isn't going to be what he is all of a sudden. But if that ball, which I believe has less drag and is kind of a little bouncier, not quite 2019 level, but the home runs are going to be an issue. I think as long as obviously he's allowing the fly balls, and I mean, he has a 3.42 Sierra, which is what about three full runs. It's like almost three runs lower than his actual ERA, which, you know, Sierra is one of the better indicators. I don't know, man. There's still a lot of reasons to be optimistic. He's still getting plenty of chases. He's still getting swinging strikes. Uh, Lodolo is a guy that I'd be buying low on, but it's the home park is crushing him. I know obviously there's more to it than just the home park, but when you look at the home road splits, even in a small sample, it's just, it's glaring the difference. And not to mention, again, just missing one or two spots a game. It's all it takes to get hurt by that park. But all things considered, there's obviously better days ahead for him. But the weather hasn't even warmed up yet. So if we say it just gets worse <laughs> in Cincinnati. But it's one of those things where I expect him to adapt and get better. But the blowups can still be big blowups when they do happen. You know what I mean? Like, even if he gets back on track and is a, is kind of Nick Lodolo you expect for the next few months, there's going to be those one or two outings. Same thing with, like, Hunter Green, who kind of corrected course earlier. Hunter Green kind of started off the year kind of, you know, issue like with these issues. The thing was, is Hunter Green still is prone to these bulbs, which we saw one not too long ago where he was just getting hit hard. And it is what it is in that ballpark. If you have one day where you're getting hit hard, it's going to be worse than your average day getting hit hard, say, at Marlins Park or insert a third of the league or even majority of the league compared to the Reds Park. So you just have to keep that in mind. But there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic with Lodolo. But maybe for now, if you can try to play that home road streaming game as long as he starts. But the problem is, is, he can turn it on at any moment and you're going to miss a good start. But it's at this point, it's worth the risk. I would think like you don't want to treat Lodolo as a, as a streamer type, but you kind of have to considering the way he's getting beat up right now. 
that's the hard part. He's turned into a streamer right now, which is really frustrating because you didn't draft him to be a streamer. That's where it gets tough. Uh, him and Hunter Green, like you mentioned, Hunter Green, his numbers are better than Lodolo. He's still having similar Babbitt problems and everything there because the Reds' defense has always been horrific to top it off. But that was just kind of the thing even in draft season. Like these guys pitch basically in – it's a ballpark that is more conducive to offense than Coors Field. So like these guys are pitching in the best hitting environment in baseball about half the time. So grain of salt and uh, hope he gets more starts on the road than at home. Ryan McMahon, speaking of Coors Field, I wanted to bring him up because I was high. I wasn't as high on him this year as I was in the past, but I still liked Ryan McMahon, especially for his price tag. Hopefully, positional flexibility for you. He's primarily played uh, a second base, but he moved over to third base with injuries. So he's got that flexibility again, middle infield, corner infield, which I liked a lot. But, and he's almost like you could just pencil in like 20 to 25 home runs, hit you like 250 ish, give or take. Uh, just consistent numbers. We have not seen that so far this year. He's hitting 203. With four home runs and one stolen base, striking out almost 36% of the time. I wrote him up in, a, in an article this past week, over just the past week alone. He struck out like 44% of the time. He looks kind of lost at the plate right now, is the nicest way I can put it. Um, what are you seeing with Ryan McMahon that maybe it's not just common sense stuff? He looks bad. It's hard for me to want to give up on him, obviously, playing in Coors, playing every day. He's 28 years old. I don't think this is who he is, but it's pretty darn bad. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the strikeout rate should positively regress here. And I say that because when you look at McMahon's like underlying profile, he's not chasing. He's actually chasing the least amount of his career to this point. So his O swings at 26.9%. His average is 29.1%, and league average is usually around 31, 32. So he's he still has that really good 
play, play, uh, play approach in terms of like eye for the ball. However, he the swing strike rate is up. It's not a career worst by any means, but it is up almost a full two points from last year. And it is above the average because it's at 12.9%. So there is a little more swing and miss, but at least he's swinging at balls in the zone more. You know, like the swing rate and the, and the, Z, the zone swing are all up. He's just not making contact in the zone right now. Because when you look at the rest of the underlying profile, you're looking at, the, you know, the barrel rate is really strong. The hard hit rate is really strong. McMahon should be better than he's been. And that strikeout rate looks like it's more of a passivity thing. There is some swing and miss, obviously, as I mentioned, with the swing strike rates for McMahon. But all things considered, you're looking at, you're looking at like kind of the same player. Just the strikeout rates, the, the the strikeout rate number itself seems a little inflated for what it should be. I think he could correct that, especially with his history. And if you look at the home road splits, that's kind of what I was looking at with him. They're, I mean, OPS on at home eight eighteen on the road five twenty six. I mean, there you go. There's your issue. He's still yeah. not. He's been good on the. It's funny though because uh, well, that's lefty right splits. I'm sorry, but yeah, it's one of those things where. His lefty splits are bad, but he's not hitting right. He's like he's supposed to. I think there's a lot of good coming his way. It's just one of those things where I'm trying to like really find where he's struggling, and it looks like it's a home road issue and just some strikeout issues that I think will correct themselves. Again, going back to just history and some of the things I'm seeing in his underlying numbers suggest that I think he – again, it goes back to I believe he can get make more contact. There is that whole – like last year, I feel like maybe there was more of these, but wasn't there like more weeks, full weeks where like Rockies would play at home for a week and then on the road 100%, for a week? I, I, I think I even mentioned that like my first week of DFS stuff and I looked like, or maybe it was even something we did prior to the start of the season where last year it was almost like a full week in Coors, a full week out, a full week in Coors. Like that was how their schedule almost was the entire season. It was beautiful for streaming. It was outstanding. But yeah, this year it's more like first half of the week they're in Coors, then they're at, on the road, then they start the next week on the road, then they finish in Coors. It's always like split right now, it feels like. So then I'm wondering the, how is that affecting him more than usual? Because obviously the whole, hangover. the whole thing, the course hangover. And by the time he's getting adjusted, oh, he's back in cores and then he's back on the road. And then once you're like, and if you keep flip-flopping like that, and by the time you adjust to being on the road again, now you're back in cores where the balls aren't moving the same and the home road splits, are they going to be more stretched out than usual in terms of like, is there going to be a greater difference than usual considering the schedule being pretty much three on three off, three on three off and the adjustment periods not being as long one way or the other. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's actually that's speculation. I can't prove that. Yeah. At least not without looking more into it, a lot more into it, because it would take more than even one sample season, a sample size worth. But uh, one season sample size, I should say. But anyway, uh, McMahon is one of those things where I was with you. I was kind of like I was in at cost because I really, like, I really liked him at cost. But then I never got him because either a somebody was higher than me on him, or b I, I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of uh, young. I got a lot of Josh Young and uh, Matt Chapman. I started falling into that category. I, I think I actually have zero McMahon, which wasn't even by design because I really like the idea of getting McMahon third base. He was going to gain second base, which, you know, he yep. played second base for a good portion. For He's actually Start split 17. I'll say 17 yeah. to 18 starts at each position right now. So he might even enter next year with dual position eligibility. But it's one of those things where I really liked the idea of getting that, and I still never got him because there was always somebody higher than me on him. Which, again, it's worked out in my favor. Definitely. But, Maybe that, maybe that tells you I wasn't really in on him as much as I thought because obviously if I was in on him, I'd have a single share. But it was one of those things where I just preferred other players around him a little more or I preferred the price of a guy like Young who was going behind him. Regardless, it doesn't matter. No one cares about my my how I worked how it worked out in my favor. What people care about is if he's going to turn it around. And I do think there's better days ahead, all things considered. I just don't know how much the schedule because I think was it Silver or Modica? Somebody mentioned it, Modica maybe, that they don't have their first full core series for like another month in terms of like a full week in cores. Yeah. And I don't know how much that's going to – if that's Effect. one of those things that 
just how, how much does that affect the player going in and out of course so much? I don't know. I can't speak to the last time I saw it this frequently. That's why I'm like, it's, it's a speculation, but it's one of those things where when you look at the splits and you look at the player and you're like, there's track record, but he's, even though he's yeah. been, he's been below average, but even below average, he's, his WRC pluses has still been 30 points higher than they are now. But a lot of his underlying numbers are kind of the same. And it's like, I still think he's more of that 240, 250 hitter than the 203. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not overly optimistic. Would I go out and buy low? No. Cause, no. Cause just no, it's one of those things where you kind of just have to eat it or drop it. I'm not dropping them in a 15, but in a 12, that's, that's, that's where this, that's where this comes from is um, a lot of the players that we put on this list are actually discussing the GT discord. People are asking like, should I add drop? Should I trade for this guy? McMahon was one of them this past week. And I still can't do it in 12 teams or less just because I think there's more there. And what's the replacement value on the waiver wire actually going to be? Well, that's, why, that's like, what, what he, you're like right now. Would you rather have Nick Senzel right now than McMahon? Probably. And that's a waiver wire guy. We just added him in our OCQ just because he was there for whatever reason. Actually started him over McMahon. Go figure, because we, yeah. we have McMahon in that in that league for reference. So, and you know, once a week I have to do the reminder at least once a week where I tell you I hate twelve teamers because there's it's it's such a harder game to play in terms of like you you I tend to overvalue players that aren't as valuable in those formats. So mm-hmm. maybe that's also should go, but maybe that plays in my favor in terms of having a quicker trigger finger. Like, okay, cool. Because I don't see this guy being as valuable as I thought, or even at his value, how much, how much less is, am I going to be able to get off the way of wire even rest of season in a 12 for certain, for certain True. positions for certain players. That's how I'm looking at it. And right now, like for instance, we have McMahon on the bench in that league because I'm, I'm not even asking anymore. I'm just kind of making the moves and managing it myself <laughs> just because I'm having fun doing so. Cause again, it gives me that opportunity to get in a peek into 12s. All I do every week though is ask, Hey, here's all the guys I like. What should I bid on them? Because that's where me, that's where I have that disconnect of, I know why I do 15s, but I also understand OCs and 12s are kind of the wild west. It's been kind of the term everyone's using and it's very true, but uh, I'm, dig- I'm getting off. I'm really good getting off topic today. I'm really enjoying the n- natural conversation. Well, cause yeah. I think player, co- player, you know, player talk is. is important, but, that, but that's why but, I wanted to bring up the McMahon thing. Cause like, like but what you said about starting Sinzel and benching McMahon, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying not to drop McMahon. I'm trying to keep him around a little longer until we really see what the heck's going on. Because it's the weather's like, gonna warm up and all that. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I don't want to give up on him just yet because this could still be a guy that's got 15 to 20 home runs in that bat and some production. And I think well, right now, when you look at when you look at rest of season product uh, projections, if you're a projections guy, you gotta love what you're seeing. You're looking at 15 to 18 home runs, depending on which one you look at. You're looking at a 240 to 260 hitter. You're looking at the strikeout rate improving 10 percent because again, you're getting back to your last two seasons combined. I think. So maybe maybe the batting average is optimistic, but I guess that batting average would have to be there in order for it to get back to what they're expecting. Stuff. Yeah. So I do think so. If you're looking at that, you're looking at a very solid, palatable corner infield type. The problem is, is I just don't think he's going to be that. St- I don't think he's going to be that starting third baseman. Like you target him to be your starter. That's where it's going to be an issue. He might not ever. He might not live up to that hype because part of what drove his price was the the the, the fact that he was a known quantity in course still batting in the middle of that lineup. More than likely, that kind of drove his price in a very uncertain, unsure third base market. You know, nobody there was a lot of people not really sold on Young. Matt Chapman was there was a very big division on Matt Chapman in terms of like, oh, that's who he is, or hey, it's a contract year. We know what he's been, and there's been kind of that whole like back and forth on Chapman. And I think McMahon was always like, and kind of with Bohm, you know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. There's a little bit of upside, a little bit of intrigue there, but you know what you're getting. And I feel like that kind of that kind of goes back to what pushed the other third base market too. If you go back and look at uh Henderson and uh Bregman those were supposed to be the guys that were like the end of a tier well they've been the end of 
the tier below them yeah, <laughs> so far. Been the, they've been started the bad tier now. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's uh, it's one of those things where it's wild because um, it, it goes to show you that you know, and you know me, me and Zimmerman don't always see eye to eye. So I, I agreed with them though. I ended up coming around realizing there was no scarcity at the position if you honestly started, and that's where projections kind of opened my eyes to where if you look at players like numbers and factor in the upside separately or factor in what you want to factor in in terms of like preference, you realize that third base wasn't as scarce. And now you're seeing it because you're seeing Muncie break out, break back out. You're seeing, we, I mentioned, I can't, how many times can I mentioned young and Chapman in a, in a, in a podcast, but you're seeing, you these got, you, are you rostering those two guys by chance? Do you, are they on your yeah, team? Curling? Yeah, a lot, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, so I'm biased, but like, no boom. I have no shares, but I really like bone because of, you know, and things about bone that, but I think he's actually falling closer to projections. I haven't looked back into him. So he's, he's, he's come back to earth a little bit since that early hot streak. But it's one of the things where bone, like the reason why I liked bone was because he was showing the power gains in spring and not necessarily the power gains. I, I could care less about the actual production. It was the fact that, we saw Bohm put on that muscle, make a point to try to be more power producing. And then if carried over into the early part of the year, and then like you mentioned kind of came back on the earth. I do expect, but kind of, so Bohm and McMahon have fallen back into the, like where they were in draft season. And you're seeing some shifting in that middle, but it goes back to, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about. Like look, look at Yandi, for instance, Yandi was a great value this offseason. I have zero Yandi. And it was one of those things where I always looked at Yandi like, well, Yandi's just kind of solid, safe, great corner infield type. And now I wish I had more. And it's just one of those things where, if you go back, it goes back to what Zimmerman says. I and again, you know, I'll be the first to admit Zimmerman and I don't, you know, we unfollowed each other, we don't get along necessarily on Twitter, but a lot of that was because I don't think we understood each other. Maybe I understand him well enough because he speaks a different language and in a way that I honestly am starting to understand more. And I kind of wish I understood earlier. And I think it's helped me lead to some better. I drafted better once I, you know, that was early in the offseason we got into this argument. And then by late draft season, I kind of adapted to realizing that. You know, he was right in the situation. I was, I felt wrong. And I, but I still, I'm, I'm not quite the projections person that a lot of these guys are, but I have, I've made a point to put them into my, uh, into my analysis, at least in draft season. In season, I'll, I'll refer, I'll defer to them in certain cases, for instance, like a Bohm, like a McMahon, where I believe that the projections will be able to nail those guys down better. But guys with like legitimate full changes in their profile, that's where I start differing from projection systems. And that's why I like to still interject my own personal bias or stuff like that so that's where it's like i've learned to kind of i still i like to in incorporate them but at the same time i like to kind of do my own digging on a player and seeing if it's i don't just take them for face value anymore is what i'm getting at or I really ever did but i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that projections aren't important because you saw me and george talking about in the chat where our sgp sheets stuff like toby and all them use they were giving us players that were like wait this player is like 10 points like uh, 10 like the value was like off by a good amount it was like this like why why am i why is my guy 10 spots higher in ranking here than adp so i would circle them i'd go back and look and then i'd be like all right well obviously i'm missing something in the in my evaluation so that's what's really good about that stuff it really opens your eyes to certain things like maybe you're not projecting enough runs or rbis with a player and that could be the difference in those three to five spots that they're ranked and it go, it's a long thing. I, again, I know we went really off topic with McMahon, but I like to talk process. I think process will help you win leagues more than player analysis 100%. at the end of the day. But the idea of my goal here is always to combine the two. So yeah. those who stick around and deal with my ramblings, I think that's part of what <laughs> that's part of what Bubba likes about me. But also it was like, OK, curl and wrap it up. Let's move on. <laughs> that's a very common thing here. But it reminds that's me, awesome. hey, it's a little bit of Toby. You know, Toby used to go off on his like his tangents and. I think I think that's a good balance. I'll never be Toby, but I'm trying here. It's all good. No, it, it was it was good good topics with the projections things because I don't think they get talked about enough. I know they get talked about, but enough of like having the 
rest of season projections. Like that, that was a great point on the McMahon thing. Like if you're losing hope in McMahon, but you still believe him, if you believe in projections to start the season and you still believe him in the mid, like rest of season projections, you should still like McMahon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Unless there's something like you said, we look under the hood and he's not fully broken by any means. There's like a few things like red flags or whatever, but those are fixable red flags potentially. Like, oh, I would even call them yellow. I'd say like yeah. caution flags or yellow flags, you know? So it's like, it's not the end of the world with him. That's why I wanted to bring him up and talk about him. And we'll do this each week. We'll talk about a handful of players before we get into the fab pickups of the week. But right before we get into the fab, while we were talking about um, Ryan McMahon, it was official. Max Scherzer was scratched. David Peterson is starting on Tuesday evening. Still Shocker. no Max Scherzer to the IL yet. They haven't said that. So I don't know what the corresponding move is for Peterson to start, but that has been made official. So keep an eye on that whole situation. They uh, they placed a right-handed pitcher. They replaced a uh, looks like a relief pitcher on the IL with a left quad strain. Retroactive well, to May eighth. Retroactive, yeah, c- convenient, convenient. Yeah. Right quad strain. Okay. Okay. Scherzer's going to is going to try to tough his way through this, but we'll see how it works. All right, let's talk about moves, ads of the fab walks. Week six in FBC OCs. We usually do OCs because twelve teams. Most people play ten to twelve team leagues actually, and Curlin hates them, so it makes it fun for me to discuss but we'll start with the, there's fun. a hand there's a handful yeah the process there you go there's a handful of like really interesting names i wanted to discuss here with curlin um and obviously the most added players bryce miller he's added in 205 leagues but like we've seen all these big moves lately with tanner bybee and logan allens and mason millers who mason miller might be done for the year and so on and so forth but bryce miller added as high as 585 as low as 74 so usually like in an oc even with the best of the best prospects that come up you somehow see like a $10 or like a $6, like what 74 was the low. So people in every league was going hard at Bryce Miller. Um, he's had two pretty decent starts. What's your expectations? I know you mentioned it earlier that he wasn't great in double a, but the pedigrees there. Um, I think he's really, really good. I couldn't imagine spending 400 plus on Bryce Miller. I could be totally wrong though. So what are your thoughts? Well, I think the, the spending makes sense because a, we're talking two very elite starts, not just like mediocre, not great. I know one was against the A's, blah, blah, blah. But we're talking elite starts. Granted, it's heavy, heavy fastball usage. We're talking 70% through the two starts for Miller. Slider, sweeper, changeup are his other three, but the changeup he's thrown two of <laughs> with the slider being 19%. So it's more of a, it's almost a two-pitch mix right now. The sweeper is borderline a third pitch because it's 9%. I, I like to keep it at 10% threshold. And I forget why I've heard, I've heard that by multiple people. So I'm like, that's where I got it from. I'm not saying like, I know this. It's just one of those things where I, I kind of picked that up from other people talking about, it. but the slider has been hit hard. The sweeper has been hit decently. So it's one of those things where the fastball is just so electric and so elite. A 28.8% whiff rate on fastball is pretty good. Um, the guy he's, he's just, he's getting it done. Even with heavy fastball usage teams will adjust obviously, but I, I don't know. There's, there's a reason why he was a top prospect. He's going to get plenty of runway here. Miller's a guy that, I expect him to be just a solid overall guy. I think there's going to be SP three upside. I don't like to give any of these guys ace upside. There's no such thing as an ace upside guy off the waiver. I just, I have a hard time buying that, but I think he's going to be, I think he'll be in that conversation with the Taj Bradley's when he returns and how good he was to start uh, the Bybee before the blow up. You know, I think Miller's in that conversation. Maybe even, you know, you can argue above Bybee. I have a hard time arguing over any Cleveland prospect, but, I think they, I think these there's a reason why these guys are kind of grouped together in that like SP three upside. If you, if they can be an SP five for you, these guys are guys you're plugging in starting. It's kind of the important part here, and that's what's driving the value because you just mentioned it. What Luis Garcia went down unexpectedly, Urquidy went down. Not that Urquidy was in that yeah. same conversation. But you get my point. Scherzer is dealing with this on again, yeah, off again injury going down. 
You have Rodon pushed Mason, back. Mason Miller. It's just a, a yeah. slew of free. Stuff. Yeah, you mentioned Freed just went down too, and he wasn't yeah. even. You're hoping. You're hoping that Miller. You're hoping as a Freed manager that you got Miller. You know this off just by chance. Like okay, you went for him. And, oh, now Freed. Okay, cool. I'm good. Like not good. But you know what I mean. Um, so you're getting all the slew. The injuries are piling up. They they're continuing to. The underperformance is also there. You have guys that would like Dylan Cease who are just not playing up to snuff. You know you have. Uh, Carlos Rodon, who had another setback with unforeseeable, like unforeseeable, we have we have no idea when he's coming back. So the prices are getting pushed up for these guys, and when you have a guy that comes out and just shoves the way he shoved, it doesn't matter how terrible he is the rest of the way. He knew that these bids were coming in, but the problem is, is I think it set unfair expectations. So all things considered, I think if you can get SP three out of them, you're happy. But if you're getting more of an SP five, oh, I mean, you're definitely happy. But if you're getting SP five, you should be happy too. And I think expecting that is fair. If you can just get like twenty more starts, you're happy right about now. That that that's where the sweet spot give, is. Give me ten. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> just the way just the way things are going, it does make me feel better about my my two hundred and thirty dollar Tanner Bybee shares now. When he's going, when Wilson's going for double the price, but like you said, the landscape has changed. And Bybee's last start, if people didn't pay attention, he had zero fastball command, so that was his his yeah. problem. Where that could be Miller's problem if he has no fastball that night, it could get ugly quick. But hey. That's fine. Get through that start. Go on to the next one. I don't care. I mean, people have to remember. People have to remember. These are rookies. They're going to have great starts and bad starts. And that's why it's like, it's frustrating because we're so spoiled by this season because you had guys come up and just shove the first few outings. And I'm I'm surprised because that's not normal. You know, a a rookie pitcher might come up and have a good start, but not like elite electric starts. And then you have Bryce Miller do two. Not to mention, it goes back to people. Now people that had money were people that either A, missed out on the other big name you know, pitching guys or B just really needed pitching. And that just goes to show you where the market's at. So if you are lucky enough to have pitching, especially in a deeper format, you probably have fab left. You should have still been in on at least some of these guys just because you want to shore up what you have as a strength already. But now it's like, I'm over here personally. I'm waiting for closers. I put $3 on Ian Hamilton. He pitched the seventh last night. I'm like, well, good thing it was only three bucks. Do I think he'll factor into the saves? Sure. I think I'll get in there, but I'm, I need saves bad. So now it's like, I'm setting myself up to where, I'm saving up for like a legit, like, hey, this guy is the closer, which the problem is, is a these days you're not getting that because there are no secrets anymore. Right. So there are no. Oh, where did he come from? Everyone's stashing people, everyone. And so I'm hoping I'm hoping that as my team stays relatively healthy, if it can um, I already I already have Woodruff from stashing, which is getting harder to do. It's like even though he's getting closer to closer returning. It's like, crap, do I drop him? Because obviously I'm talking NFC formats where there's no IL, but it's like it's getting harder and harder to to, to hold on to him but i'm over here like all right i'm gonna do my best but it's like i need saves bad i need a spec and i, I want to spec cheap i don't want to spec on like Boxberger who went for a good price in my league end up losing the job in that week after he went so stuff like i want i want to spec on more sure things and maybe i should have been more in on jason adam maybe i should have been more in oh he went for 200 in my league there was no way i was getting him i wasn't paying that for him but um that's the thing it's like you got to know your league because maybe I should have just because like, even if he's a closer for two more weeks and then from there, maybe fills in once a week, that's still giving me a huge advantage because I don't, I'm I only, all I have is Estevez who's been a beast, but you kind of, it goes back to if you're fortunate enough to have, if you're fortunate enough not to need these uh, starters, you're in a good spot because I think hitting's. Oh, well, there's going to be a couple of hitting guys and we'll talk about a couple of them that were expensive, but hitting is not, I mean, I don't know how everyone's talking about pitching needs. I'm pretty sure people need hitting too. Hitting has been, yep. I feel like hitting's been weird this year. Like, I don't know. So, like, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of production, but I feel like there's a lot of underperformers, and I don't know. There's got to be some teams out there that are hit, hitting needy, right? Well, let's talk about this big hitter that uh, you're kind of hinting at there, Matt Mervis. We've been waiting for him to get called up for quite some time as he was hitting 
286 in the minors of six home runs, 27 runs scored, 27 RBIs, walking 16%, striking out 17. He was adding 182 leagues because going into the weekend, he was rostered in 11% of leagues. He went as high as 351, as low as 22. I laughed because two weeks ago on our NFBC Fab column at Gaining the Edge, he was 10% rostered in OCs. I said, hey, please add him now. A week later, when he's been called up now, obviously he can only make moves once a week, he was 11% rostered. He went up one roster percent. I'm not saying because I thought there would be more is what I'm trying to say. The fact he only went up one roster. Like we knew it was coming, and he went up 1%. So he's 11% rostered coming into this weekend. So he's, pretty, he's rostered everywhere now. Uh, he's got a couple knocks, a couple RBIs to start things out here. Striking out a ton early on. Super small sample. Four games. 18 plate appearances. Not going to go crying about that. But what's your thoughts on Mervis? Because what I love the most about this situation is they mentioned they're going to give him pretty much regular run. Like, like it's his job, which when you hear that, you're like, sweet, let's rock and roll. Whereas, like, we didn't, he's not on the list because he's not going to get added a lot till next week. Is Christopher Morrell, who's crushing it in the minors for the Cubs, just gets called up, but he's basically platooning at best. Like, he didn't even start against a, a, a righty last night when he got called up. When Nico Horner leaves the game, Nick Madrigal goes in. So it's like, wow, what do we really think of Christopher Morrell? And they made comments about, oh, it's great to have Christian Velasquez back in AAA to get regular at-bats because there's really nowhere for him to play every day. Well, what about Christopher Morrell? They're like, what are we doing here? So that gets me concerned on that. That's a topic probably for next week's show on Christopher Morrell. But I'm concerned. Like, it's going to lower my interest in Fab. I'll say that much. But what's your thoughts on Mervis? So Mervis, I, I, don't, I think right now, young kid, pressing. It's his first taste of the majors. He's chasing the ball an absurd amount we're talking 40 almost a 43 percent again just reference league average right now in o swing is 31.4 percent so chasing everything um showing that willingness to swing but with it mostly being out of the zone is where it's kind of like not most of it but he's still swinging in the zone more but it's one of those things where his, his zone swing percentage is way below league average about 10 percent whereas his o swing which is again out of zone swing for mervis is above league average almost over 11 percent. so it's one of those things where his pitch recognition isn't hasn't been there yet from the looks of things uh the swinging strikes are way way high i mean 17.2 percent last time he even had that was in 2021 in AAA, but 2022 he's never been above 14 percent. so it's one of those things where he should be better than that in terms of the swinging strikes but mervis is having early you know, again rookie struggles it makes sense he's pressing he wants to you know do things that for you know that first game where he had the go-ahead rbi in like the late innings that was great he followed that up with i think the next game with another rbi and in, in his game so he's, he's putting together some decent bats but way too much swing and miss that patient that patient approach that's paid off with those double digit walk rates i think that'll return and help him create that floor but one of those things where he he has to get past this part first and i think there's one of those things where maybe okay you know temper expectations at first but Going back to, if you look at his projections, he projects out to be very similar to Ryan McMahon. And I think that he has a potential to be better in the batting average rest of the way, just because I I just, I believe in the hit tool he's shown to this point to get here. However, we also see that doesn't necessarily one for one translate. So uh, Mervis being a Ryan McMahon type of guy, that's very, very valuable off the waiver wire in a deeper format, but maybe expectations were set too high, expecting more than that. You know what I mean? Yep. That's my, that's my thought. That's my concern. Like, I believe he's a, a, a heck of a hitter. He did it last year in, in, his, in the minors. The fall league was amazing. Watching him in the home run derby was electric. He started out the year great in AAA. But it's like, let's not, like, set, he's not the next Ernie Banks for the Cubs type situation. Let's let's slow it down a little bit here. So that's my only that's my only concern. Like, I think he's going to be great. Might be one of the better prospect hitters we get to see get called up this year. So that's why the breaking the bank thing. But, you know, temper expectations in my mind. 
And it's funny because uh, I actually, so I, I was texting with Wax behind the scenes, Zach Waxman, just because he's one of the guys that I've, I've known for years and he plays in all these high stakes leagues. So obviously my first year in a main event, I was like picking his brain in between when he has time. I mean, he runs over hundred, literally over hundred leagues. It's impressive. And by impressive, I mean, wildly crazy and nuts. I don't know how he does it, but good for him, whatever. But, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was like, I think I'm going to stash Mervis. And, you know, we went back and forth. He's like, I think Morell's going to be at first. Like, I'm like, I think you're right, because at least Morell's on the 40-man, blah, blah, blah. And I, I had a bid on Mervis for like two bucks, but I never got to him because I never made it that far in my waterfall. The next week, Pod started talking about him. And this goes back to being like, maybe being ahead is great, but you have to actually act on it appropriately, right? So it's like, I was in on him, put in for like a $2 bid, never got to him. He went un- he went unfabbed. Next week, it was like an $80 fab. So even though that guy got 80 bucks, sounded like a lot, ended up working out considering prices, right? especially in mains and stuff. But uh, same thing with Morel. I had Morel for five bucks. I dropped him last week before the news dropped. And then now uh, I don't think, I think other teams are still stashing and now he's going to be back up, but I'm okay. Cause I was never really high on him. I was okay. Giving him up. I think I dropped him for Varland and you know how much I like Varland. Yep. That's so Louie Louie. So it was, and that was one of those things where I was only dropping Morel for Varland and I, I'm okay with it though. It's like one of those things where Morel, like you mentioned the playing time, I'm waiting to see with the lineup tonight because you mentioned it. Yeah. That I was, was looking still me. not out yet. I was looking was for the, it while we were talking. That was the big thing for me with with Morel was they didn't bring him in last night when they could have right after Horner left. And they have Madrigal who they made a point to play two out of three leading into that or two straight leading into that night before he was benched. But Madrigal was playing third base over wisdom. And I think that's the thing where maybe they'll prefer wisdom, prefer Madrigal and let kind of remember how remember how uh, Morel fell into that whole like he started off starting and then he fell into like a two like a three to four game a week guy after that. And kind of finish out the year being that like some weeks he get five games, some weeks you get three. I think that's I think that's the kind of role he'll be in again, which is going to be maddening to try to figure out with him because and he's got such power speed, man. The like, tools, even, his tools are amazing. Like no just, one's questioning that. Man. No one's questioning the tools. It's the fact that in spring is like a forty percent strikeout rate in spring. Followed that up with thirty percent in AAA, where it's like, so what do you expect when he gets the majors? He's still probably going to strike out a whole lot. But the thing is, is Morel can get hot. And B and carry he did last year. We saw him go off for like two or three weeks. I think it was maybe even a month where Morel was absolutely like you had it must start and then just fell off a cliff. And I think that that's kind of what you get with these profiles with the with the volatile strikeout rate profiles. But the tools are undeniable. But we're, we're questioning here: is the swing and miss there for Morel, or is he going to have more contact? And the and will he play enough? And the fact that you have to ask these questions, that's where it's like, like I if you have him by now, great. But I'm like you mentioned, I'm not going to be going out and. Like he's available in my league. I'm not going to go crazy on him. Uh, I will bid on him just because I want that upside, but not as much. I don't think I'll be near the high man on him. And yeah. I'm, and normally I'm not, like I said, I'll keep some stuff to my chest, but I'll be pretty upfront about players like this. Cause first off, who's not talking about right now? Everyone's talking about Morel. <laughs> That's why I want to bring him up just because the playing time is much more an issue than I think we thought. Cause we thought since he got called up, it's his jam. And I know it's only Tuesday. I've watched the rest of this week very closely. Very, very closely. If he plays three out of five, how do you feel about this? And say he plays against, like, I don't know how many left. I have to look at the rest of the week. But say he plays three out of five going forward. And, like, two out of th- two out of those three were against righties. One was a lefty. Do, would you just assume he's kind of in that role again where he's playing three yeah, to five games a, a week? He's or a, he's you, like a, maybe he's like a 60-40 guy right now. Like a Chris Taylor-ish? Yeah. Where Taylor, like, last he's night a, pinch hit, but pinch hit a home run. So it's like, well, did you start him because he was pinch hitting <laughs> and not, you know, not in? Last night, you know what I mean? Well, and, the, and the beauty of Morel, similar to Chris Taylor, is he can play all over the diamond, infield, outfield. So any little thing. That's why last night was flush, frustrating. When Horner goes out, you're like, sweet, bring in Morel, and that did not happen. And that, that, but that goes to show you that they already have that. And I think 
Madrigal's defense might be a difference maker. I have to see how obviously we're all graded out. You, I can't but, guarantee is the wrong word, but I'm pretty positive he's got a better and defensive skill set. And that and that matters these days, especially with the shift being banned. Like you're seeing players get moved all around the diamond, but they still need like, but there's so much more range to cover now because there isn't that extra fielder on each side. So a, a good defense, a good a good defender is going to get preference, I think. Especially with the Cubs, they have guys like Stroman, Steele. These guys give up contact they're not strikeout guys they need that defense to let allow their pitching to play up so yep. we'll see how but we'll see how that goes again i know this, i know we're getting ahead of ourselves but these are the names that people are talking about yep. and want to know about before you know because everyone talks about everyone makes fun of the whole fab pre uh, review thing and i get it like but at the same time i enjoy doing them because i think it's we talk i, I try to make a point to talk about process a lot and we that's and we get into process i think process helps long term but yeah you know a little fab review there you go there's a name there's a name, Christopher Morrell. Shocker, oh, yeah. name to watch. <laughs> yeah. I don't really think right Keep now. Keep your watch list, folks. Yeah. Keep your watch list. <laughs> uh, we'll, talk about him, we'll talk about him next week, I guarantee you. Um, all right. We talked about this guy last week, so I just want a quick quick question for you. Michael King was added in 172 leagues, 211 max, two men. So people finally woke up to this conversation that I got him for like three bucks in a couple leagues last week. It was glorious. Um, Clay Holmes is not good. Shut up. Not good. This is not this case. <laughs> this is not a personal attack on you, even though I guess I could have made it one for sure. Because that was your oh boy. no, it's personal. Um, I was so in on him. I was so how, like just quickly as quick as you can. Um, how much are you believing it's Michael King's job now? As quick as I can. I like that. Uh, I think it's. I mean, Boone usually picks a guy and sticks with him. That's why it's weird. The last time they did this whole like matchup thing, it was until Holmes ran with it, right? So it's one of those things where if and Holmes has been better his last two outings, so that was kind of encouraging, and he's still being pitched in high leverage situations. And they came out and you know they threw Ian Hamilton's name in the mix yesterday, but then we saw Ian Hamilton come in in the seventh. Granted, it was a three run game, two I think two men on already, and and heart of the lineup. So it shows you the level of trust they have in him. I think that that's the issue. They have so many names, and they can kind of mix and match as they please. They, and they've already talked about bringing King in in more of a one run. Uh, one one inning scenario versus the multi-inning scenarios so that's already kind of trending in his direction i do actually buy into it being a closer by committee situation for now because i think they once boone figures out which guy he prefers or if Holmes can regain it then there's going to be that decision to be made then but for now i do actually buy into it i think king is the favorite and that's my unbiased opinion because king is the only freaking reliever i don't have on my team because the week i went for him i bid like four or five bucks it was two weeks ago actually and someone bid like 17 and at the time, you know, it was speculation, but it was still Holmes's job. And then Holmes went out and blew another save since then. But anyway, but Holmes lost two outings just to go back, just to talk about him back to back, you know, one hit in the last two outings total scoreless. And the big thing was, is he completely revamped his mix. He, the Can you singers, tell me what innings he pitched by chance real quick? I think it was the seventh and eighth. Yeah, one seventh, seventh, one eighth. One was seventh for sure. Yeah. That's so uh, you don't have to listen. You don't have to tell me, but it was, that was the first one. The second <laughs> one was the eighth. So he's already trending properly. You know, he, he went from the seventh to the eighth. How much better could you do on trend? Right. But mm-hmm. it's one of those things where I'm aware he, it's still high leverage though. My, I guess what I'm, what, the reason why I'm optimistic still, or at least trying to hold on to optimism, like I didn't drop Holmes in a deep, cause I'm in a 15 team or where I can't really afford to drop him. But I think he can still factor in because a Boone, that's Boone's guy going back to midway last year. B, we saw him again, back to back successful outings. Uh, didn't, didn't allow, allowed one hit total. And we saw tangible change with it. It goes back to how I mentioned when I look for changes and stuff and success to follow, it's a small thing, but we saw the sinker usage dip way down last, especially last outing, but the outing before that also dipped down. And then we saw him utilize the secondaries more of the sweeper and, and slider, both spiked up 
especially in that second outing again. So it's one of those things where obviously maybe it's not before for the sinker right now. The weather's still, you know, I've seen I've seen the Yankees pitch in a lot of crappy weather games, a lot of rain, a lot of, you know, cold. I'm not saying that's an excuse because other guys are succeeding, succeeding just fine. But yep. it's one of those things where at least Holmes is showing progress. And I do, I'm, I'm in this, I got this weird, maybe it's because of all those years of Chapman just holding on to that job no matter what, you know what I mean? Boone has just proven to be like, when he likes the guy, it's kind of his guy. And I do believe that maybe Holmes is in the doghouse right now, but the second Holmes can show three, four, five starts of uh, three, four, five outings of success, he's going to get a shot to close again. And then when he gets a shot to close, he'll be closing like every other opportunity. And then it'll turn that's, that's where I wanted to go with this. Are you going to try to stash Holmes right now? Or are you just going to kind of wait? In 12s, I'm probably holding on for one to two more weeks if I can. In 15s, he's, I actually have him starting this week because I'm chasing saves. I have him and Hamilton in my lineup because I have enough two starters to, and I need some help with whip, and hopefully he doesn't ruin that for me. But, uh, but you know, my point is I'm in that format. I am holding right now in most cases. Ten teamers, you could drop them. Uh, but other than that, he's a guy that I'm not letting go because I, I think if Boone can have his guy be that guy, you know, shows like, oh, he's back. I think Boone gives him that opportunity again. Maybe I'm banking too much on this gut feel, but I, I just, I, we've seen him do this. We've seen Boone do this. However, they are treating King more traditionally, especially now that they are trying to get him away from multi-ending relief appearances. So I do think King's going to be the favorite, but I do buy into all the reports, including Boone himself saying that it is a committee right now. So we'll see what happens. We shall see a couple more guys to talk about here. JP France of the Houston Astros got called up because of all the injuries between Garcia and Urquidy in Houston. Uh, France went in 154 leagues as high as 147, as low as a dollar. He went five shutout innings, striking out five against Seattle in his debut. I was pitching great in the minors last few years. Big time strikeout stuff. Ratios have been good. Uh, last year, he pitched 110 innings. So you're hoping for 130 or so this season. Uh, I was very in on France because, A, I think there's a spot for him for now. Everyone wants Forrest Whitley. I get it. But they keep kind of downplaying Forrest Whitley, which makes me wonder there. But France is, you know, he's here. There's two open rotation spots. I took my chances here at, at a discount. Kind of like how you did Louis Varlin a couple weeks ago. He was my Louis Varlin this week. Let's take a, the cheaper option. who might get some run for a bit and see where it goes. So I, I picked him up a lot of places. He's going to play on a team that's going to give him a lot of chances to win, for one. And I, the, the strikeouts is something I really, really like to see that carry over potentially from the from the minors. So I liked France. Oh, the strikeouts aren't a question, in my opinion. Even on the low end, he still averaged a K per inning right now, like this last outing. It was one of those things where what happened to the where, where the walks are, have been a huge issue. And uh, the walks have been a huge issue. And meanwhile, he managed to 1.8 walks per nine. Like what? a 5% walk rate when he's always been a double digit walk guy in the minors. I'm very surprised at that right now. And I don't know how long that's going to last. And that's the only concern. But again, considering it was the cheaper option, France is worth the gamble, obviously, because it costs, he was way cheaper than every other, especially Miller this week. And it, you mentioned team context, the Astros and pitching, you want the part of that team. I like him. I just am surprised that the walks were so low this first outing, especially you would think he'd be amped up. And the fact that he was able to keep his composure and go out and throw strikes and attack the zone and still induced a 14% swing strike rate while not having any chases. But I'm surprised he like the chases were like the O swing was 20%, I think, compared to again, Lee averaging 31%. So like the strikeouts came based on just attacking the zone and getting the swing, swinging strikes. I'm just wondering do the walks rear their ugly head and cause issue? That's there. But again, considering, considering the cost, I think that's baked in. Like you're not expecting him to be amazing. But if he surprises and gets the walks and suddenly just attacks his own and lets his stuff play up. 
maybe he could be better than we anticipated and still, you know, limit damage while striking out enough players to be relevant in the strikeout side of things. I don't know. I'm just, I don't, I don't understand how suddenly you can go from being a four and five walks per nine guy to under two in this first outing, especially again, it being his first outing at the major leagues. Like what, <laughs> what I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I'm thrown off right now, but in, in a good way, like it's, it's reasons for optimism for sure. It's just one of those things where now we need to see him build off this. Yep. Uh, I'm with you. I, I'm optimistic for sure. Uh, let's talk about another bat here from Kansas City. Michael Garcia uh, picked up in 123 leagues, as high as 89, as low as a dollar. Uh, a little bit of power throughout the minors, tons of speed. I've seen some uh, very sharp people compare him to maybe this year's Jeremy Pena, per se. That's a big claim, but very possible. He has Rob Silver that had that one. I know you like Mark Michael Garcia. You want to discuss him. He's got two steals already on the season. Hitting cleanup on Tuesday night, which is big. Um, what's your thoughts on Michael Garcia, who – I think if he gets proper run, could be a heck of a pickup this year. He's got a middle infield and corner infield eligibility. So it was a lot of fun where I was like, oh, yay. You know, just like I planned, I have to, I get to plug in uh, Michael, Michael Garcia in over uh, Corbin Carroll in one of my DCs, and it worked out. <laughs> it worked out for sure. But it's one of those things where the power is not great. It's not a zero, but it's not great. You know, he put up, what, 11 home runs last year across, like, almost, almost 600 or over 500 play appearances close to like 550 so you know if you're lucky if you get like seven to ten projection systems have them for three to four for reference but if you need speed you know the royals are going to run you know garcia as long as he can keep up these the good you know the good batting average on base i think garcia's gonna run plenty so stolen bases are there so there's some batting average upside and now if he's gonna hit middle of the order all of a sudden now there's counting stats upside as well that wasn't there initially a lot to like here i think the power is a is it overall not going to be a very strong there's not gonna be a lot of a lot of power there so temper expectations and understand that he's more of a build type of guy like if you need stolen bases and batting average you should have him and plug him in but if you don't i mean he's still a great starting option at middle at mi in deeper formats because just the lack of upside there but I just think that he's very build specific in terms of need just considering what i'm expecting and, and from his stats Ray Ryan on the L, if healthy, guy I don't like Ramon Urias or Michael Garcia. There is more similarities there than I thought, but maybe maybe one's more power, the other one's more speed. Who knows? But there's something there, I think. Well, Urias went on the IL, so that, that made my I said before he went on the yeah, IL. Yeah, I was saying that's what well, – well, you were breaking up on my end. I, you're, maybe it's my internet. I told you my internet's been giving me a hard time this morning. But uh, but uh, my, my thing was – was so I, I, made, I made the comp, but it was for the wrong reasons. I comped him to – I, I, I comped Valdez, Emmanuel Valdez, to Garcia, but not because of skill sets. Obviously, skill sets were different, uh, and I like Garcia more in a vacuum. But it was one of those things where just the value in terms of, like, cost to acquire, I liked him to be like, well, there's a chance that this guy matches that level of production maybe in different ways, but in terms of dollar value, it could be very similar without the price tag. But there are glaring differences in terms of why they cost different. So it costs different uh, amounts in fab, and I kind of was – Push, I push those off a little bit. Obviously, we mentioned Valdez, the platoon situation, the potential for playing time concerns. If if or when story returns, um, obviously, um, I, other options. Just you never know how that works out, especially because apparently his defense isn't great, which I, I do forget sometimes to factor defense in. But um, all things considered, it was a like I said, a bad comp, and uh, yeah, uh, it's just one of the things where it came to mind because I think the reason why I comped them though was just because they were both middle infielders getting added in a lot of spots this week, and. I do think that there's a path for them to both be pretty productive, just different ways. So, but I don't know, just making excuses for a bad tweet, I guess, at this point. 
There's a lot of other players that were added this week, but one more that I want to mention for this week, we'll talk about probably more of these guys in the future, is J.J. Bleday, just because I have to. I have to let people know that don't listen to me regularly. This is who I talk about. Uh, added in 89 leagues, as high as 150, which that's too much, folks. I hate to break it to you. As low as a dollar, I was in on Bleday quite a few places. Don't didn't get him everywhere, though, because I had some sharp friends. But I loved the improvements we saw. Like I keep saying, you know, we've seen Sinzel all of a sudden. You've seen Jaron Duran. Like, there's a slew of prospect Kelnick. Uh, there's a bunch of these guys that had the pedigree that are figuring it out, going through transitions. Um, Bladé's only 25 years old, for one. Extremely young, if you're curious. And then the minors this past year in 316 with seven homers, one stolen base. But more impressively to me, a 16.8% walk rate and a 12.6% strikeout rate. Back to uh, in 2022 between the majors and AAA, nearly 28% K rate. So he dropped the K rate back down to his previous seasons. He's walking a ton, which was great to see. Um, and and the contact skills have been very, very strong. So far, he's hit safely in all but one game since getting called up, 47% hard hit rate, which has been great. Um, what's your take on Bleday? Because I'm very biased. I'm biased for the fact that I love him in DFS because he started out at $2,000 went deep for us. Uh, he's been below 3 k for a while. I think he's up to like 3200 bucks tonight or something. He's finally making a price bump. So I love that. I wanted to get on him early in the outfield run because Oakland should let him play for a bit. We'll see. Uh, I know we did kind of sit the other night, which uh, there's a little platoon concern maybe, but what are you seeing with JJ Bleday? Cause I guess I'm just trying to, as we see these young players, maybe starting to figure things out. I wanted to jump on him while he's cheap before maybe he does figure it out. If that makes sense. I think there is platoon concerns, but also does that concussion linger for Loriano? Cause that could be yeah, a path to he came in for him right afterwards. That's, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm getting at. So I think, but, they haven't been shy about platooning, even Jordan Diaz, for instance. So platoon concerns are definitely there, but as a lefty, at least he has the strong side, and you can plan for that in weekly formats or in FBC formats. But all things considered, Bleday was a former top prospect for the Marlins. Yeah. So obviously there was, you know, there's there's a pedigree there. The Marlins can't develop hitting for anything. And if you listen to Rates and Barrels, Eno did mention uh, that he spoke to Bleday, or at least spoke to somebody about with Bleday about how he changed his approach at the plate, made a point to kind of shorten his swing and you're seeing it pay off in terms of like that strikeout rate taking a big dip even obviously the minors it was down to 12.6 percent walking more than he's striking out over 119 play appearances but even with with it spiking up now that he's at the major league level it's still spiking up to a very good 21.7 percent and that's compared to Bladé's you know career average being 27.6 percent which is also factoring in said 21.7 percent but it's one of those things where he's making more contact he's being very patient at the plate and considering how patient he is in terms of ch limiting chases and swings overall well they isn't the swing and miss is palatable it's it's about league average in terms of swinging strike rate and the contact rates are a little below average but again it goes back to those are it's, i think that's a product of him not swinging as much more so than just you know swinging and missing so all things considered i like the gains we're seeing in the profile and if we learned anything from the a's this year like the rookers of the world and other things it's like take a shot on the potential for upside and as long as playing time's there you know it's got unfortunately my boy connor capel didn't stick around but i'm okay sacrificing connor capel to get bodea up you know to see bodea up. but capel wasn't even that bad he just wasn't as flashy but maybe i'm just biased because i'm defending my guy but uh bodea all things considered i really like what we're seeing here i think there's a path to a solid floor of production uh, obviously power is hard to come by in that ballpark i think that if those gains are legitimate and we're seeing kind of some of that transfer over into the production i'm looking at projections and i'm not sure he's that low of a hitter that they have him down to like 211 to 225 range depending yeah, on, again, depending on all right. one thing i've mentioned with bloomfield because we kind of got into debate on this a couple weeks ago 
projections for prospect type players like this, I don't just look at too much. They have they they've been they're way low on a lot of these guys. Like Josh Lowe and those guys, they have like falling off a cliff. Yeah, and maybe he is closer to a two forty hitter. I can buy that. But I don't think me. I don't th- I don't think he's the two even maybe maybe two twenty five with the bat X has him at two twenty five. The bat two twenty four. Maybe that would be the absolute floor. But I don't. I think there's a reason. Again, if those changes are legitimate, which early on again with the lack of strikeouts. It's easier to buy into him. I think that those projections are a little low on the batting average. But again, considering where he's playing, the power might unfortunately be closer to the truth than I'd want to admit to. Because I thought maybe, you know, we saw him hit, what, 25 home runs last year across uh, AAA in the majors. I thought there was closer to a 20 home run bat here, but maybe he is closer to the 14 to 17 home run bat. We saw Sean Murphy. Look look what Murphy's doing this year in a real ballpark. You know what I mean? And Murphy was crushing the ball last year, but in that terrible ballpark so that's why it's like maybe i need to temper expectations in terms of what i expect were possible compared to what's going to happen given the ballpark but all things considered i do like bladé i think he's a solid fifth outfielder type in deeper formats and i wouldn't expect much more than that but that's fine considering um just steady production out of a fifth outfielder in a deeper format or in a a five outfielder league that's fine and again you can plan for his schedule in most formats if you're strictly weekly monday through monday through sunday that's a little tougher you can still plan for it but it makes them less uh interesting and less rosterable in a like a points league where you're rostering uh guys for monday through monday through sunday and you don't get to make that move midweek or whatever so just know just realize that he is a schedule dependent for the most part yeah, no, definitely sitting clean up on Tuesday against Clark Schmidt. So that'll be fun to see how that pans out, see if I'm really worth this conversation or not, because it's a great matchup. Lefties versus Clark Schmidt's a fun thing. Um, before we head out of here, though, in the Discord, Dyer just uh, – he's a diehard Cubs guy. We have a lot of Cubs guys in there. Um, he and mentioned uh, Nico Horner just did an interview, and he should be avoiding the IL, and he's day-to-day. The injury's not as bad as they thought. So our whole Christopher Morel talk might be just even more put on hold here pretty soon. So keep an eye on it. It's only Tuesday when we record. A lot can change throughout the week, obviously. But before we head out of here, Curlin, um, next week I want to do a deeper dive into the, the waiver wire. There's even just talking about guys that like have a, have been popular guys in recent weeks but are still available if you search type stuff. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on them and whatnot. But uh, any final thoughts before we head on out of here for this week? I'll give one more name just for a, a preview name for a deeper format. It's Casey Schmidt. Got the, Casey yes, Schmidt got, got the, call. the call for the Gigantes. And, I like uh, it a lot. Like you, it a you, lot. You, know, you know, we saw how good the spring was. The spring was flashy and the glove will play. So the glove's going to keep him in the field between second and third because they mentioned he played second a little bit. So maybe they put him in second, get Wisely out of there because my boy Wisely, but really all, all he was was a kind of a, a flashy toolsy guy in terms of like power speed, but I didn't, yeah, the batting average has been an issue. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's probably out of the picture. Estrada was a shortstop while Crawford's out. And then once Crawford gets back, you're going to see Schmidt play third. But my point is that Schmidt's going to play every day because that glove's going to play every day. And there's been big improvements in the strikeout rate. I don't know if the power is going to translate that well. Obviously we just want home run in 145 play appearances. Yeah. We saw it in the spring, but at the end of the day, if he's closer to, I mean, he's been a 300 hitter for three straight stops. So if he's giving batting average playing every day, Probably hitting bottom third lineup to start, but potential move up because you know how the Giants are. Anybody hitting hot will move up. But I don't know. There's just one of those things like a deeper league cornering field option. Just a guy I wanted to mention as a um, not someone we go crazy over because again lacks tools in terms of like fantasy juice, but playing time and batting average help. There's something I like, there. I like it a lot. I'm a big People, fan. I didn't even think about mentioning him, but that's a great call because he should play every day with that glove. And there is a hit tool there, 100 percent a hit tool. So. 
I like that one a ton. I want to see where he goes. Fab wise, we'll see what he does the rest of the week. Let's get to let's get to Sunday before we get True. too excited on that one. But it's a great call. Like he should be. I'm a mad. They haven't put out their lineup. Kapler's been dragging his nuts on the floor when it comes to putting on a lineup lately. Like just really taking a sweet time. Um, I'd imagine he's playing tonight. Let's put it that way. David VR is probably going to get the odd man out here, and that's a shame. But maybe he needs that for now. But uh, we'll see. All right, everybody, we're going to head on out on that one. Make sure you check out Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Check out his work at Game of the Edge Fantasy at The Athletic on YouTube. All the fun stuff there. He'll tweet it all out for you. I'm on Twitter at BD Entrick. And until next time, this was Ben Bubba, episode 588. See you guys later. to 25 times your money this football season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn ten dollars into 250 dollars with just a few taps easy gameplay quick withdrawals and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app ready to test your skills join the prize picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up right now prize picks will match your first deposit up to 100 just visit prizepicks.com get 100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.